We're going to the army. Yes, we certainly are. Off we go. Hello again and welcome to the July 2020 episodes of Going to the Army. You may have noticed that this episode was again introduced by a different voice. And again, it was for very good reason. It was the voice, of course, of our dear friend Lieutenant Colonel Norman Bearcroft. And this is the second of two special editions of Going to the Army produced in his memory. <laughs>
was the march Land of Song, written by Lieutenant Colonel Norman Bearcroft, who was, of course, promoted to glory last week from his home in New Jersey at the age of 94. The title of the march, along with the fact that it was played for us there by the Cardiff Canton Band, might give a few clues to the provenance of the piece. It was written for the Welsh Music School, held annually at the time at the College of Fro, a YMCA college of Christian education located in Rus, about halfway between Cardiff and the seaside resort of Porthcawl. When the International Music Board decided to publish the piece, they decided that to keep its original name, Collega Fro, would probably be more trouble than it was worth. At the time, you might remember, it was the army custom to invite a chairman to introduce the pieces in a music festival. We never usually got much insight into the music, but it often guaranteed a fiver in the collection plate. <laughs> My experience of chairman ranged from the utterly lewd, which I must admit was very humorous to a 15-year-old teenager, but rather out of place, to the hopelessly inadequate. One let us know how much he'd enjoyed melodies from Doverack. As a result, the International Music Board gave the march the title Land of Song, a title that perhaps wouldn't have been necessary to anyone who was able to recognise melodies such as the Ashgrove and Men of Harlech. With the Canadian Territorial Commander Clarence Wiseman having now been appointed General, looking back now at the tremendous work that Norman had done in Canada, it only seems natural that his return to England would come sooner rather than later. And in 1976, that's just what happened. Norman, Jill and two of their sons returned to England, with Norman taking up the role of National Secretary for Bands and Songster Brigades. It was just in time to start to prepare for the 1978 International Congress that was to be held in London. Norman became a vital part of the team that was put together by Brindley Boone for this massive undertaking. Before that, though, there was still time for the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1977, and the National Music School going co-educational and moving to Cobham Hall in Kent the same year. Both were, of course, great successes. That festival at the Royal Albert Hall in 1977 was the one that saw Eric Ball presented with a special certificate to mark his great contribution to Salvation Army music. Two of Norman's pieces that evening left a profound impression on me, as a young 14-year-old lad. And in true Norman Bearcroft style, one of these was a lighter item. An ensemble featuring a whole host of cornetists arraigned around the auditorium. The other was a setting of another great Salvation Army song, General Albert Osborne's I Know Thee Who Thou Art. That was called the Calvary Track. We're going to hear the Calvary track later in this tribute, but for now let's enjoy the first of those two pieces, Joyous Proclamation.
1978 International Congress was the first one that I remember having had more than just a passing recollection of. Dad and I were there at the Albert Hall the night of the Three Bands Festival. I spent two days walking around just interviewing officers and delegates about their experiences. Well, that gave me a completely unique record of the event. And we were, as a family, present for many of the great events of the final weekend. At the Royal Albert Hall Festival from 1979, we were treated to yet another of Norman's masterpieces of solo writing. This time, once again, it was for Cornet, but played by the brilliant Richard Martin of Enfield Citadel Band. Song of Exaltation exploited the soloist's skill of being able to play in just about every key. And while showcasing the soloist's unparalleled talent for playing fast and intricate passages over a very wide range, it also allowed him to bear his soul in the middle movement. With a setting of Commissioner Isaac Unsworth's beautiful melody to the words, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Song of Exultation. Thank you. 
Having played an important part in the early years of the Salvation Army's Holiday Plus Fellowship events at Butlin's Holiday Camps, once again found himself in charge of the entertainments team each year for this great venture. Where up to 6,000 Salvationists and their families came together for an annual, well, how would one describe it, holiday like no other, I guess. In many ways, this became Norman's greatest legacy holding a late-night sing-along every evening for three or four thousand people, many of whom would have been long in bed before the 10pm start if they'd been at home, this was where he seemed to be at his very, very best. And these great meetings are what many, many folk most associated with Norman Bearcroft, and many of those who are still alive still do so today. How that team of Norman and Jill, Peter and Sylvia Dalziel, John Mott, Diane Lillycrap, Joy Webb, June Kitchen and dear old George and Lily Crooks put together a new show every night, raising a million laughs and guffaws, was a true feat of genius. And it must have involved so much hard, dedicated work. If I may, at this stage, be permitted to share a few of my own personal recollections and encounters with Norman, I think that would be fitting. I don't remember when I first met Norman, but my dad had known him since his days at the training college, and his was a name that I learned to know from when I was a young lad, almost as well as if he were a member of the family. Dad, being a rather large gentleman like myself, was often the source of an easy joke for Norman, and Dad, being a great man of humour himself, never minded a bit. I can recall a festival in Birmingham Town Hall. Dad had been asked to provide photographs for the musician, and he was walking around the gallery trying to find the best angles for shots. He certainly got some great ones, particularly of the soloists Jackie Proctor and a very young Andrew Justice but he must have caused a little commotion in the gallery, for at one stage Norman stopped the festival and announced, don't worry about Ken Harry and his camera up in the gallery, he's just moonlighting for the news of the world. The audience laughed, and so did we. Later, when Dad was perennially placed on the end of the trombone section in the Butlin's band, he often got to play the spontaneous stooge to another of Norman's jokes. I joined the Butlin Citadel Band when I was about 12 or 13, and I loved it. I remember a few times when Norman and Trevor Davis used me, the youngster, to play the solos in band pieces, such as the cadenza in Memories of the Past. 
but the most memorable occasion came one night when we played Sound Out the Proclamation. Near the end of that piece is a bit of euphonium virtuosity, which in rehearsal, up in the Prince's Theatre, was sounding rather ropey. Up stepped Norman from the side, with the suggestion to the euphoniums that maybe discretion should be the better part of valour. And in the evening performances, he said, if you can't manage that bit, leave it out. I must have been set up, because come the evening in front of three or four thousand in the Gaiety Theatre, I was the only one who carried on playing, and a spotlight had been primed to light me up for the privilege. Norman talked me into entering the talent competition one year at Butlins. I think it was around 1978 when I was 15. I didn't have any music with me, but Norman said that wouldn't be a problem as Trevor Davis would accompany me on the piano and he didn't need any music. So I thought, here's a chance for me to play something I wouldn't normally get the chance to play with piano accompaniment. And so I chose Terry Kamsey's A Joy Untold, which had only been published earlier that year. Trevor and I had a quick chat through rather than a rehearsal, and I was announced. There I stood on the stage in the spotlight again, and we played our way through what is a very fast solo. Unbeknownst to me, though, just before the final repeat, Norman walked over to Trevor and started making a winding-up gesture, urging Trevor to double the speed. Well, somehow I managed to keep up, and that end section of the solo made it onto the cassette album Highlights of the Week, which I think my proud dad must have played to death, because despite having dozens of Butlin's tapes in my collection, I couldn't find that one for this tribute. Later, I remember being very moved and challenged by Norman's leadership of Bandsman's councils in the Birmingham division, and then I was thrilled to play under his leadership at Cobham. We remained friends right through to the end. And as I said earlier, Norman and Cathy were working with me on putting this special episode together. An episode that, as I said before, has sadly now had to turn into a posthumous tribute. When I married Sarah in 2015, how thrilled was I to discover that I finally had that family connection to the great man. Because Sarah had actually been dedicated by Norman. That was on the occasion that he visited Exeter Temple for the retirement of her granddad, Bandmaster Bill Woolway. Norman remembered this well, as he told me he always did retirements and commissionings, but rarely got the chance to do a dedication after leaving Corps Ministry. Well, as a euphonium soloist in the army, I know that I played The Better World more times than any other solo, with the exception of Eric Lydson's Song of the Brother. But particularly memorable to me are the occasions when, with Portsmouth Citadel Band, I was able to play Norman's duet, Timepiece. This great work is based on the secular tune, Grandfather's Clock. That's a song written by the same American secular composer, by the way, who also wrote the tune to Shout Aloud Salvation. As my own humble tribute to Norman, then, this is me and my great friend Terry Sage playing Timepiece, with Portsmouth Citadel Band at Worthing back in 1994. <laughs>
recollection I have from Butlin's 1979 led me for many years to wonder whether amongst all his other gifts, Norman might have had the one of prophecy. One evening, amongst the pantomime-style humour of the entertainment shows, I couldn't help wondering if he knew something we didn't, or if he was giving us that prophetic foretaste of things to come. For he introduced a singing, marching brigade of ladies as a humorous sketch item, a choral group to rival the international staff band, no less. The ladies were smartly uniformed with sashes emblazoned with the three letters ISS. As it transpired, Norman did know that such a group was to be his next venture, having met with General Arnold Brown just a few weeks before. But it wasn't until his autobiography was published in 2010 that we knew this for certain. It was while Norman was taking part in the Army's Star Lake Music Camp in the United States that the word came to him that the General would like to see him at his earliest convenience upon his return to England. Now that's enough to worry any officer, as I'm sure you can imagine. Where now? must have crossed his mind. Australia? South Africa? Peru? Of course, it was none of these. Norman soon discovered that he was going to be given the wonderful remit of creating the International Staff Songsters. And the new brigade was inaugurated at the Fairfield Halls Croydon on March the 8th, 1980. General Brown's remit to Norman was quite notable. He asked for the brigade to particularly emphasise and revive the army's heart songs. If that was his main intention for the brigade, then he could never have chosen anyone better to lead it than Norman Bearcroft. Not if he'd had the whole world to choose from. Because Norman loved the Salvation Army songbook like no other book besides the Bible. Not only that, but no man ever loved that book more than he did. To have a free hand to arrange and use such a treasury of song must have been to Norman Bearcroft like locking a child in a sweet shop with an open invitation to eat whatever he wanted. The first arrangement he made for the new brigade was one of Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast. When sung at the inauguration, General Brown noticed at once and commented that it was so appropriate that the very first word sung by the songsters in public was Jesus. And the very first LP made by the group was made up almost entirely of what you might call songbook songs. When Jesus looked o'er Galilee, morning has broken, holy, 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 and Oliver Cook's immortal and beautiful I know a fount. But the song that made the greatest impression from that recording was Norman's own arrangement of an old English parlour song, The Voice in the Old Village Choir. This had been set to words by General Albert Osborne. The well is deep must have been sung by the staff songsters more than any other song in those early years. And for many years after they were founded, it was synonymous with the brigade. 
It later became just as much a favourite with other Songster Brigades after its publication in the musical Salvationist. And then, just a few years later, it became the congregational favourite that it's gone on to become when it was added to the songbook itself. The well is deep. Life is a
By the time of the second Staff Songsters record, we knew exactly what to expect. More of the same. The one big number by Ray Steadman Allen, songs and spirituals, and all with those Norman Bearcroft flourishes and fanfares with which we were by now so familiar. The setting on that record of The Charm of the Cross to the old Irish-American tune Mother McCree proved to be a natural successor to The Well is Deep and just as spiritually effective and evocative.
The National Music School at Cobham Hall continued to go from strength to strength in the late 1970s and 80s. And each time Norman, as the camp's musical leader and conductor of the A-band, led with his usual humour and inspiration. I only attended twice, in 1979 and 1980, but I have such great memories of those occasions in particular the great final festivals at the Fairfield Halls in Croydon. Again, this allowed Norman to work with the full resources at his disposal, and never more so than the grand finale in 1979, where the massed bands and massed chorus came together in a united presentation of Norman's Three Spirituals. Listen out in particular for the cornet obligato in the first movement, for it's played by none other than Bandmaster James Williams of Enfield Citadel.
course, Norman also wrote a special march for Cobham Hall, using his own chorus, Able to Save, and also, as a surprise for the general, Arnold Brown's own song, I Believe. It remains today one of Norman's most played marches, but here it is, played and sung by the students of Cobham Hall, 1985 vintage. Cobham Hall. Twelve years that Norman led the International Staff Songsters, they fulfilled many hundreds of engagements. Not everyone realises that the International Staff Songsters 
like the ISB, undertake a full weekend's ministry to a corps somewhere in the UK territory every month, as well as travelling from all over the country to a London rehearsal every week. The amount of dedicated commitment required from every member is a most serious decision that each of them needs to make. To leave families behind for an average of seven or eight days a month, often meaning childcare having to be arranged, these are the things that few of us who haven't been members of staff sections rarely take into consideration. Add in tours and congresses to the equation and the commitment becomes even greater. The first international tour undertaken by the International Staff Songsters was in 1986, when Norman led them on a tour of the United States. They still sang the mix of large, complex choral festival pieces, light arrangements of spirituals or songs from Gowans and Larson musicals, but closest to Norman's heart and almost always the highlight of staff songster programmes and recordings, remained those heart songs. In all, Norman arranged over 50 of these for the songsters, fulfilling not just then his initial remit from General Brown, but also satisfying very much the deepest desires of his own heart, to keep alive these great army songs, that so many seem to want to cast into an oblivion of disuse. But more than that, these were his favourite tools to win souls for the Lord he adored, and he loved so much to serve through his life and music. I can just imagine him, like me, ploughing through volume after volume of old army publications, looking for a long-forgotten classic, and rejoicing in the opportunity to bring it back to life. Such was the case with the Suite 1886, which took three songs from that year, the first year of publication of the musical Salvationist, and brought them back into use. So here is Suite 1886. <laughs> Sitting on the 
As well as contributing to other recorded collections, the International Staff Songsters made more than a dozen records between 1980 and 1992. But no year stood out more in their international exposure than 1988, when they and Norman took a leading role in a nationally broadcast TV series shown on ITV and hosted by one of the most popular presenters in the country the great Roy Castle. Norman Bearcroft was asked to be the musical director for the whole series, and he rose to the challenge superbly. From the beginning, with Bless His Name, He Sets Me Free, sung to the old music hall melody of Champagne Charlie, to the closing strains of O Boundless Salvation, the series did more for the army than anything else had for decades, showcasing not just our music-making and history, but our current everyday work amongst the homeless, prostitutes and what General Gowans would later call the marginalised in our society. The soundtrack was vibrant, exciting and perfectly matched to the filming in every aspect. And every bit of it was bountifully blessed by that bubbling baton of Bearcroft. Once again... The opportunity to take old army songs that had their origins in the music halls captured the muse in Norman. And I was privileged to be part of the massed choir at the Albert Hall who sang along with the good old days. A suite of these songs, many of which went on to feature successfully in that very ITV series. 
the good old days.
found him without more ado, and now I thank God that I know. And threatened me with doom And my poor soul was dark as night My heart was filled with gloom But they told me at the Saviour's feet For the vilest there was room I went and now I praise the Lord I'm pardoned
By the end of that series, I think most of us Salvationists were more than happy to claim the presenter, Roy Castle, as one of us. His enthusiasm for all that the army both did and stood for was evident for all to see. And I don't think it would have been too hard to imagine him in a uniform and taking a full part in real life, were he not, of course, so deeply involved in his own church activities. Sadly, just a few years later, Roy developed cancer and after a long, brave and very public struggle, he died in 1994. I like to think that Roy was, like Norman now, promoted to glory. And here is Roy Castle with the International Staff Songsters, extolling the virtues of the Army Cup of Tea. <laughs> on me, but when it comes to charm, that's a different tale by far, oh there's nothing like an army cup of tea, oh there's nothing like an army cup of tea, there's nothing like an army cup of tea, they produce it on the spot and from Hong Kong to all the shots. 
soldier boy you see You see The red shield man drove up And they offered me a cup Oh there's nothing like an army guarantee Oh there's nothing like an army Sally Ann was graced by royalty. royalty. She was overheard to say, as they brought it on a tray, Oh, there's nothing like an army cup of tea. Of tea. Oh, there's nothing like an army cup of tea. Nothing in this old wide world like a nice, hot, strong, rejuvenating, psychedelic hobby! The secular world has a word for songs like the one we just heard. Light and humorous, enjoyable and crowd-pleasing items. They're known as lollipops. Norman wrote so many of these lollipops that at times there was a very unfair dismissal of him as not being a very serious composer. And I've heard him so dismissed at times. Yet here is a man who'd also written My Solemn Vow. A man who in his early thirties wrote the immensely complex musical arrangement of The Divine Paradox to words by Peter Cook. When the time was right... Norman could compose wonderful, complex and effective, serious music as well. And thank God, the existence of the International Staff Songsters gave him the opportunity to explore this side of his composing to tremendous effect. One such piece is Unto the Lord, the title track from the Staff Songsters CD of 1991. It's an example of the Easter music that Norman wrote, and of which he was so proud. After hearing Unto the Lord, we're going to hear a tribute from the current leader of the International Staff Songsters, Dorothy Nanskeville. <laughs>
I first met Lieutenant Colonel Norman Bearcroft at the first ever Cobham Hall National School of Music. I knew about him because I'd grown up in Govan Corps. I knew of the family connection there and of course was well aware of many pieces of music. However, it was great to meet him in person 
and to be under the influence of somebody who, although had great spiritual depth, had great personal charisma and a tremendous sense of fun. He had a twinkle in his eye most of the time. His repertoire is vast and there are many pieces of music that will have meant a great deal to listeners over the years. I guess from my perspective, I love his settings of folk songs. Personal favourite is his setting of There is a Green Hill. And I can testify to the fact that the Christ of Calvary that he set to the beautiful tune of Annie Laurie has a massive impact every time we sing it. There are brighter things as well. And Bound for the Promised Land always goes down really well, as does The Well is Deep. And it's been great in recent times to actually feature on the ISS website um, a video of Norman conducting the, the joint chorus of former and present um, staff songsters at the 25th anniversary. It takes great tenacity and courage to set up something new. And 40 years ago, it was Norman's responsibility to set up the staff songsters, which he did to great effect. But he always remembered the maxim that the staff songsters were there to sing the heart songs of the Salvation Army. He's been a great personal support to me since I took on the leadership of the group, always interested in what's going on and having a great spirit of encouragement as recently as this year. And it has been a privilege to talk to him and to Cathy about the anniversary events. It was also a particular pleasure to be involved in the celebrations for his 80th birthday. I remember it was a boiling hot night, but to be there with the Household Troops Band, Jackie Proctor, Derek Kane and Kevin Ashman on the 2nd of June 2006 was a really special occasion and one I will never forget because of the warmth of affection held for Norman. His influence has been considerable and his legacy through his music, his personality and his spirituality will live on. If you pushed me, probably my very favourite piece or a group of pieces that he's written, his reflections. He had a great depth of understanding of the words of Catherine Beard, and I think a love for how her poetry is written. And so I think I could do no better but to just quote the words of the last section, Home to Thee, and they say, I would go silently, Lord, when I come to thee, Glide as some gallant bark into the mighty dark. Softly and gently ride o'er the receding tide. Steer from the shores of time toward an eternal clime. Lord, on a quiet sea, let me sail home to thee. So we rejoice in the promotion to glory of Lieutenant Colonel Norman Bearcroft. And I want to express my gratitude and appreciation for knowing him, for being inspired by him, but also to have felt his personal support. Norman was a very happy family man, and he was immensely proud of his three sons. Bram, who was named in honour of Norman's own late brother, Norrie and Mark. Mark became an officer, of course, 
after singing for many years with the staff songsters. Bramwell was ordained as a Church of England minister at Ely Cathedral in 1990. That was an occasion where his mum Jill was told in no uncertain terms that her son was not leaving the Salvation Army, but was bringing the Salvation Army to the Church of England. Norman and Jill were just as proud when Mark and his wife Tracy entered the training college in 1991 to become Salvation Army officers. And Mark had also moved his father to tears by sending him some words that he'd written and asking Dad to set them to music. The resulting piece has become a Salvation Army classic and many have knelt in dedication while hearing of Jesus' boundless love in the years since. The soloist in this beautiful song is Derrin Edwards. Boundless Love.
After the Congress in 1990, it was almost time for Norman to retire from active service. And the 1992 festival at the Royal Albert Hall was the last that had Norman Bearcroft at the helm. Retirement festivals, yes, there had to be two of them to even nearly accommodate the number of people who wanted to attend, were held at Regent Hall and Norman and Jill moved down the south coast to Christchurch where they immediately took their places in the corps at Winton in Bournemouth. Retirement? Well, I don't think that's a word that Norman knew. He very soon became the songster leader at the corps. He joined the band and learned to play timpani, and he still continued to write and lead specialing campaigns all around the world. A quiet life of relaxation would have been entirely out of the question for a man like Norman Bearcroft. Norman and Jill celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary in 1998. But just four years after that, Jill was promoted to glory herself after a brave illness. But her indomitable Christian spirit and witness even challenged the doctors and nurses who were treating her. Her last words were, appropriately, those of a heart song. Let nothing draw me back or turn my heart from thee. And with that, she entered those courts of God, that city fair, and she, like Norman now, was most certainly expected there. This beautiful arrangement is sung for us here by Eric Tebbit. The Calvary Track. In 
Mention has been made a few times in this tribute of Colonel Ray Steadman Allen. As we heard in another tribute earlier, Ray Steadman Allen, Norman Bearcroft, Ray Bowes and Leslie Condon were four great musicians who all happened to be around at the same time. How the army was blessed. And we're going to have another lovely tribute now from Ray Steadman Allen's daughter, the Reverend Barbara Steadman Allen. As a family connected with the Bearcroft family over three generations, Rosemary and I want to add our tribute to Lieutenant Colonel Norman Bearcroft, promoted to glory this week. He has been part of our lives, all our lives, through his music and through officership. The Raybos Norman Bearcroft, Ray Steadman Allen trio became a Salvation Army legend and we feel we are saying goodbye to an era that some of us might describe as a golden age in Salvation Army music and music making. There's a bright new future for Norman, of course, in the new promised land yet to be seen when Jesus returns. But we believe he already enjoys a glimpse of that. For now, we send assurance of our prayers for the whole family as they miss his presence with them. However much the sting of death is removed, the sadness of loss remains. Thank you, Norman, for many rich memories and a life of faithful service. Barbara Stedman Allen The story of Norman's whirlwind romance with Cathy ten years later in New York is best read in his book, but suffice to say for now, the last major change of Norman's extraordinary life came in 2002 when he married Major Kathleen Lungholm and moved to America, going on to share the last 18 years of his life with her there.
Once again, he gladly took responsibility for the Songster Brigade at his core and played euphonium in the band until only a year or so ago. Norman had first met Cathy while visiting the Ukraine, where she had played a pioneering role in reawakening the Salvation Army in Russia and beyond in the early 1990s. Cathy has an interesting story about how some years earlier her son was studying at the School of Performing Arts in New York City. Yes, that's the fame school. And the students were asked in one class to stand and speak about their favourite piece of music and composer. After they'd had Beethoven and the Beatles and many other famous names, he stood up boldly and said, Temple 85 by Norman Beckroft, because of the high euphonium notes. He never knew then, of course, that Norman would be his stepfather one day. But those great euphonium parts had more than just one fan. I could never get enough of them myself. When I first started producing Going to the Army in 2013, I made a friend who served at his corps. And Beryl regularly wrote to me telling how much she enjoyed singing in the songsters under Norman's baton. And also, of course, she loved his friendship and humour. When advancing years and ill health, not just of Norman, but Cathy too, led to Norman being moved into a care facility at the end of 2019, the first thing he did there was to sit at the piano and lead the other residents in a sing-along. I recounted right at the start of this tribute the circumstances of its planning and how the coronavirus world situation had altered the timescale of its production. I'd have loved Norman to hear how much he was appreciated worldwide for his amazing life of service but he received his call home to glory last week, as we all know by now. I don't know for certain, but if I had to guess Norman's favourite army poet, I'd go for Catherine Baird. We've already mentioned how he worked with her many years ago on My Solemn Vow, one of the most memorable of all the heart songs used with the international staff songsters was the setting of her song when Jesus Looked or Galilee, to the lovely tune by Ernest Fuster. But Norman's own, and Catherine's greatest legacy, must forever be the simply superb setting of her poems in the composition that's known simply as Reflections. The final words of that piece came to fruition for Norman just a few short days ago. Lord, on a quiet sea, let me sail home to thee. Reflections
Cathy wrote on Norman's last day on this earth that he'd gone to bed in peace listening to his heavenly music and that gallant bark sailed into the harbour of heaven with our Norm on board. What a story, what a life, what a man. But much more than that, Norman would have added himself, what a saviour. So we thank God for the life and work of Norman Bearcroft today. And we pray together for the future of the Salvation Army that he so loved. Going to the army? Of course we are. Good night all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.